may be around the world. And thank you for joining us once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth, and number two, letter U.org. Joining me is the Director of Education and Counseling for Jews for Judaism in Canada. The website is jewsforjudaism.ca. Jewsforjudaism.ca. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Michael Skoback. Good evening, or good day, or good day. Good day, my friend. Good day. It's good an day. exciting, exciting program because this is the last program. Well, at least it's the last on the list, isn't it? We're finally completing the list in this program. It's bittersweet. I'm going to miss doing it. Oh, no, we're, we're going to have to do something else in the future. Uh, and, <laughs> and we'll start a new series at some stage. We may do a recap in the coming weeks or months uh, on, on this whole series that we've done. But as far as the list is concerned, this is the final program. And uh, we're addressing the, the final ones. And list now last you know like uh you've seen some you've got some fireworks displays there and in, in, it was canada day recently wasn't it did they have fireworks we certainly did yeah yeah it was only a few weeks ago you know how uh, you know you're watching the fireworks and there's it kind of you know it starts with the small ones and then they get a little bit higher and then they they build it up into this, this crescendo of big massive explosions that spread out all over the sky and everyone's doing the ooh ah you know and it's all very exciting and then when it's over, you know, the people are left standing there with their sparklers, right? That's right. That's what we have tonight. <laughs> That's what we have tonight is the sparklers. That's right. <laughs> We're standing here with the sparklers, writing our name in the dark, going, oh, you know, it's all, it's almost all over. But we're, but we're in the book of Malachi. This is where we are. And there's just a few that we have to deal with. This is going to be a quick program. It begins, oh, I should say, actually, you know what? I just want to say, I know I've, I've mentioned this before. I'm going to mention it again, uh, just in case I forget next time we speak. Just want to say thank you very much to Sophie of Judaism is not Christianity minus Jesus. This is her Facebook page. That's that's correct. And she, I, I just want to mention her because uh, as I have done uh, once or twice before in the program, she has been very, very uh, generous with her time, giving very detailed responses in the comments section, not only on the website, not only on the website, but on the Truth To You uh, group on Facebook. And, and so I just want to say thank you very much, Sophie, who's, who's been behind the scenes, uh, answering so many questions. That's, and that's really saved us a lot of time, hasn't it? She's got our back. And she's she, great. She's had our back. And uh, take my hat off. A yarmulke tip to Sophie. Thank you very much, Sophie. We are continuing to investigate. We are finalizing the alleged 365 messianic prophecies in the Tanakh that Jesus supposedly fulfilled in the New Testament. As I said, we are in Malachi. On the original list of 365, we're starting from number 360. On the new revised standard version supplied to us by Bill and Carmen of the RefinersFire.org, <laughs> it's uh, number 295. It begins... Well, uh, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The, uh, the New Testament verse that is connected on the list is Matthew chapter 7, verse 10, which says, Or if he asks for a fish, <laughs> will he give him a serpent? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? The Messianic prophecy well, fulfilled. Uh, no, I'll tell you the truth. Hang on a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Messianic prophecy fulfilled 
is messenger to prepare the way for Messiah. Now, you were going to say. Yeah, I, I think this was a misprint. I think this should have been um, not Matthew chapter 7, verse 10, but 17, verse 10. Do, do you think? Because I think it was meant to be Matthew 11, verse 10. Oh, Okay. What have you got in seventeen? Uh, you went searching to th- you went searching to, to to find what could this. Well, I, I, I knew that Matthew seventeen speaks about Elijah the prophet. Does it? Well, hold on a second. Hang on. And, and seventeen identifying huh? John the baptizer with Elijah the prophet. So it does. Wow. Hold on a second. This is great. Okay. So uh, in in Matthew seventeen verse ten, it says, and his disciples asked him, saying. Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Wow, well spotted. Now it goes on in in verse 11. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore, restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know, uh, did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man uh, is about to suffer by their hands. Now that's uh, okay. So that's Matthew seventeen, uh, ten and eleven. Matthew ten, sorry, Matthew eleven, verse ten says, "This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare um, the way before you." Now, I suppose both of these are uh, are relevant. It could be it could be either either. I think that probably you're you've got a better one. I think chapter eleven, verse ten is even better because this one is in in fact uh, the quoting messenger. from yeah. the quoting about the messenger now. Uh, as I mentioned, the, the Messianic prophecy fulfilled according to the list is that the messenger will prepare the way for Messiah, Michael. Okay, so the simplest thing to notice about this chapter, the beginning of this chapter in Malachi, is that it's um, speaking about uh, a messenger who prepares the way for God's manifestation in the Holy Temple. Um, that's what it says straight out. It does not speak mm-hmm. about, in this passage, a messenger coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the truth is that, you know, there are numerous Christian commentaries uh, who don't see this passage as a messianic prophecy. Um, so I consulted the Harper Collins Study Bible, the Oxford mm-hmm. Study Edition of the New English Bible, many others. They just acknowledge this passage for what it actually says. It speaks about a messenger who will prepare uh, the way ultimately for God's um, sudden manifestation, appearance in the Holy Temple. Um, now, the question is, the $64,000 question is, who is this messenger who will prepare the way for God's um, manifestation in the temple? So, there are a number of candidates, because again, messenger is a bit vague here. Some commentaries identify it as just an angel. There will be an angel whose job it will be to help make that preparation. Um, some identify this messenger as Elijah the prophet, who will play an important mm-hmm. role in preparing for this uh, ultimate manifestation of God's presence. And some actually identify the messenger here as the Messiah, meaning that the, the way the list maker reads the passage is that the messenger prepares the way for the Messiah, but the, the passage is really speaking about the coming of God, the, the revelation of God, mm. and therefore some understand that the messenger who will prepare the way for God to reveal Himself will be the Messiah. So it's well, not. I wanted to. Yeah, 
I, I wanted to ask you about that because it says, um, behold, I will send my messenger. Uh, he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, now it, it should be pointed out that the Lord is not the Tetragrammaton there. It's, uh, is the word Adonai, is that what's being used there? Adon. Adon, okay. And, and so we could say, and the master, if you like, yes. whom you seek will suddenly come to his. Now, that master could be, are you saying, could be referring to the coming Messiah? The messenger. Some people say that the the messenger who will prepare for the because sometimes God Himself um, is identified as the Master, mm-hmm. um, and it speaks here about the Lord who you will seek mm-hmm. um, coming to His sanctuary. So what the verse speaks about is the messenger clearing a path for the Lord, for the Almighty, who will come to His sanctuary. It's right. speaking about the Almighty God, and so. It's not clear who this messenger will be. Will it be some angelic being? Will it be Elijah the prophet? Some suggest it might even be the Messiah. But what's happening here is that it's not that some messenger is coming to prepare the way for the Messiah's coming. It's that some messenger, and it might be the Messiah, will prepare the way for God's entrance. Um, and if, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, if, if we carry it a little bit further in, in the book of Matthew, if we go to verse 14, uh, instead of verse eleven ten, if we carry it further to verse 14, uh, Jesus is made to continue saying, if you are willing to receive it, he, being John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. So, if we put that uh, together, then the messenger, at least in the book of Matthew, and Elijah are, are one and the same. Is that the impression you get from that, that passage? Well, I think that um, I think it's pretty clear that, at least from a Christian perspective, the messenger would be here, clearly Elijah the prophet. Mm. And I think, mm-hmm. I think that it's a very legitimate reading as well from a Jewish point of view, you know, who this messenger or, or precursor, who this paver of the way is going to be. But it's not clear. It's far from being clear. I think that mm. the the Gospels seem to clearly identify um, the, this messenger or paver of the way as uh, Elijah the prophet. Now, I think the only way you can arrive at this definitive conclusion that the list maker is asserting that the um, messenger is preparing the way for the Messiah is if you axiomatically assume that the Messiah is God. And we've seen that you know, throughout this list, it seems to be taken for granted by the list maker that when there is a passage about God that includes, that's understood by the list maker to be the Messiah. And if it's speaking about the Messiah, it's understood to be God. It's, um, it's almost an axiom. It's an assumption mm. that's being made. So if this passage, and I try to show that, you know, the straightforward reading is that it's speaking about God coming to his temple from the list maker's perspective, well, that must be talking about the Messiah because the Messiah is God. And that's why they speak about, they would speak about here, the messenger preparing the way for the Messiah. Because, you know, it's sort of like in math, there's the, the uh, associative principle that if A is B and B is C, then A is C. Mm. So there is an assumption that they're making that even though the, the verse clearly speaks about God coming to his temple. The list maker is assuming that the Messiah is God, so then the, list, the, the verse, as far as they're concerned, is speaking about the coming of the Messiah. And it would, for them, it would for them refer to the one, the messenger preparing the way for the Messiah, which would be Elijah the prophet. Um, you know, we've seen, obviously, that there's no basis in the text for this equation. There's no nothing in the Bible that ever tells you the Messiah would be God. And we've seen already, you know, numerous times that the Bible's 
you know, clear, uh, you know, context shows you the exact opposite. So when Isaiah 11 tells you the Messiah will be someone who fears God, it's pretty clear that the Messiah is not God. You know, Isaiah could have simply said the Messiah will be God. He chooses to tell us, no, the Messiah will be someone who fears God. And throughout the Bible, you know, that the prophets distinguish between God and his Messiah. It doesn't ever say God the Messiah. It speaks about God and his Messiah um, as basically two different uh, persona and not the same persona. Now, I'll just go one step further and say that if one were to insist um, that this passage is teaching that a messenger will prepare the way for the Messiah, um, I, I think it's it's not what the verse is actually saying, but I think that, you know, you could argue the point. And so if someone was to insist that, no, what this passage is speaking about is um, that the messenger will prepare the way for the Messiah, mm. this is not a, uh, sort of a big revelation because we already know that we're going to be reading later on in Malachi that this is exactly what uh, Elijah the prophet is going to do. We, this is sort of, this is already... Uh, this is well known that the, the Elijah the prophet is going to pave the way for the Messiah, but it's very, very important. And I, I wish sometimes the list maker would take a course in logic um, because the fact that this might be referring to the Messiah doesn't prove that Jesus was the Messiah, meaning at most the, the list maker could say that Elijah the prophet is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. Uh, but there's nothing in the verse that tells you Jesus is the Messiah. Meaning that what you see from this is that the list maker just assumes from the outset that Jesus is the Messiah. And therefore, mm. any time the Messiah is mentioned, it's got to be Jesus. But it sort of misses the whole point of this exercise. Meaning that the, from a logical point of view, we're trying to go from the text of the Hebrew Bible towards Jesus. And what the list maker is doing is going from their faith in Jesus sort of that's that, that's the a priori assumption you're making. Jesus is the Messiah, and therefore, if Jesus is the Messiah, then any time you find anything in the Bible about the Messiah, it's speaking about Jesus. But mm. it only works backwards, meaning it only works as a proof text if you assume from the outset that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, but if you don't begin with that premise, you don't begin with that conclusion. So the most you'd get out of this verse in Malachi, I sound like a broken record probably, the most <laughs> you get out of this verse is that there'll be some messenger to prepare the way for the Messiah. Mm. And you can't necessarily go from that to concluding, ah, and therefore we see from this that Jesus is the Messiah. No, we don't see from this that Jesus is the Messiah. We simply see that there's going to be a, a person that paves the way for the Messiah, and we have no indication at all that Jesus is the Messiah. As a matter of fact, one reason that he couldn't be the Messiah is that Elijah the prophet has not yet returned, as we're mm. going to see later on tonight. Uh, we, now, now, we should just mention, uh, if I may, and uh, maybe you were going to mention this, but John chapter 1, verse 21, we've spoken about this before, uh, it, it says that they asked John the Baptist, they said, well, what then, are you Elijah? And John said, no, I'm not. So, uh, even John couldn't accept it. Yeah, that, that's that's annoying. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't help. Yes. <laughs> All right. Now the next one uh, bounces off the same verse, Malachi chapter three, verse one, connects it with Mark chapter eleven, verse fifteen and sixteen. 
And so they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned, overturned tables and the money changers and, uh, and the, uh, the seats of those who sold doves. Uh, and he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. According to the list, the Messianic prophecy fulfilled is sudden appearance at the temple. It's a great name for a movie. Sudden appearance at the temple. Sudden appearance at the temple. Coming Uh, to a cinema near you. (laughs) That's a great title. We'll see it one day. (laughs) If anyone's listening to our shows from Hollywood. We want royalties. (laughs) (laughs) So as we just saw, what this verse is speaking about, actually, is not the sudden appearance of the Messiah in the temple, but it's speaking about the sudden appearance of God in the temple. So that's Mm. the, the first problem. The second mm. per problem, as we saw, is that the the list makers' uh, logic basically demands uh, that you accept this very wild and unfounded assertion that the Messiah is God, which again mm. is, uh, you know, it's an assertion, it's an axiom that the list maker has to rely upon. But there's no there's no uh, sort of source or foundation in the text itself to make that identity. And again, I, I said that the text sort of points you in the opposite direction. Another problem is that when you think about it, this would be a pretty meaningless prophecy, meaning that to say that the Messiah is going to come into the temple, well, there are millions of people who came to the temple. And so it would be like saying, you know what? This is a messianic prophecy that the Messiah has to have a head. You know, <laughs> believe it or not, he's going to have a head. Well, the whole world, everyone has a head. So to say that God is giving us a prophecy about the Messiah, which applies to you know millions of people that you know mm. went to the temple in Jerusalem, what kind of prophecy is that? Meaning it, it's sort mm. of it's it, it's useless. It's it's it doesn't point to any particular person um, when millions of people did it. So when you think about you know about something, is it, this is really a messianic prophecy that helps you identify mm. the Messiah, meaning it would only be meaningful if the only person in the history of the Second Temple to walk into it was Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. Mm. Um, we know that wasn't the case. Now, no, to course. go deeper, um, you know, there's nothing in the text that indicates or really forces you to think that this is referring to the Second Temple, meaning that what Malachi is telling us here is that there's going to be a sudden appearance of God in the Temple, um, but it doesn't identify the temple. And we know that scripture repeatedly speaks about a third temple that will be rebuilt in the future. And so it's quite possible, and actually it's likely, that this is a prophecy speaking about what's going to happen in the third temple, that God is going to make his sort of ultimate big appearance. Because, you know, it's interesting, mm. the times of the second temple were clearly not times that were positive for the Jewish people. They were very, very miserable times. And the, uh, a messianic prophecy in terms of the organic reading of the Bible, it, it, it's messianic times are a positive time, meaning it's a time when there's peace throughout the world, and more importantly, when the knowledge of God has spread throughout the world. So that when we read the Bible and we think about when will it be, that as Zechariah chapter fourteen eleven said, that then the Lord will be one and his name will be one. Mm. When is it going to be, as Jeremiah 31 says, that you know, they'll all know me from the least of them to the greatest mm. of them. So that's when it speaks about God's presence, God be revealing himself. It's speaking about this ultimate you know, messianic uh, you know, uh, development when God's mm-hmm. presence will be apparent 
to the whole world. Everyone's going to acknowledge him. And that didn't take place in the second temple. But it's something that we know will be the case in the third temple times. And so there's no reason to accept the missionary uh, list maker's uh, you know, understanding here that this temple is speaking about the second temple. It's just as likely that it's speaking about the third temple. Mm-hmm. And um, finally, if this passage is speaking about the Messiah, again, I don't want to say it's impossible, uh, but if it is, it would be a very different Messiah than the one the New Testament speaks of. I mean, that in the New Testament, the Messiah comes basically to uh, replace the sacrificial service mm. and replace the sacrifices. He becomes, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 18, uh, Jesus is the once and for all final sacrifice for sin. Yes. Right? Once he is, is offered for sin, there is no more sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Now, when That's we what read, it says. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much right there in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you read this passage in, in Malachi, so it speaks about, in the, just in the next two verses, how God is going to purify the Levitical priests and the, and yes. the Levites, and they will continue to offer sacrifices. Yes. So, you know, the, the, a Jewish vision, a biblical Jewish understanding of the Messianic age is one in which the Bible tells us there'll be a temple built, there'll be the restoration of the sacrificial service. Mm-hmm. And so it would sort of be at great odds, this biblical vision with what the New Testament paints as basically the Messiah coming with the ending of the sacrificial service. Um, mm. So I think that's just a point to bear in mind. The uh, last one connected to Malachi 3, 1 uh, is connected to Luke chapter 4, verse 43. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Uh, Messianic prophecy fulfilled according to the list is messenger of the new covenant, Michael. By the way, one of the reasons that you know none of these New Testament citations is really connected to Malachi is because I believe I'm pretty sure that the New Testament never cites this passage in Malachi. Um, it would have been easier for the list maker had the New Testament cited it. Um, so Luke 4.43 here says nothing about a new covenant, a message. I mean, the, the, the mm. verse quoted in Luke has absolutely nothing to do with the new covenant at all. So it's sort of you know, it's not just a stretch, it's like uh, stretching across the world to get from right. Luke 4.43 to what we're talking about here in Malachi. Of so, course. first of all, the passage in Malachi, anyone that would read it, it says absolutely nothing about a new covenant. Um, this is something that's just basically shoehorned into mm. uh, Malachi by the list maker. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not there. It's, it's basically there. imposed upon the text. Now, I think this passage is difficult for the list maker because previously we saw in the first one we did tonight that in in their point of view, meaning from the list maker's perspective, they said that the messenger prepared the way for the Messiah. But here they're claiming that the Messiah is the messenger who institutes the new covenant. Mm. So it seems as if there's some confusion about whether there's a messenger preparing the way for the Messiah, or is it the Messiah who becomes the messenger? Mm. Um, one thing is clear, that the passage you know, very overtly tells you that the messenger of this, new co- of this covenant here is not the Almighty God. 
um, the verse in Malachi very clearly distinguishes between the messenger and mm. the Almighty God. Um, now, in terms of this idea of the New Covenant, so we only find that in Jeremiah chapter 31. And the New Covenant that we read about in Jeremiah 31 has absolutely nothing to do with Christianity or Jesus or the New Testament, meaning that um, what's described in Jeremiah 31 is a new covenant that we're told God, it doesn't say God's going to make with the nations of the world, it's with the peoples of Judah and Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, Christianity insists that it's, this is really something that's a universal project. Um, and secondly, what the new covenant is in Jeremiah 31, it's contrasted with the old relationship that God had with the Jewish people. Jeremiah spells out that it will not be like the old relationship, the old deal that the Jews had with God, where there was an obligation to observe the Torah, but the Jews never fully kept the Torah. The, mm-hmm. the Jewish people as a nation were never successful. There were, there were many people, individuals, righteous people, righteous remnant, who did, but as a nation, um, Jewish people were never really living up to what they should have been doing in terms of observing the Torah. That's what Jeremiah says, that the new covenant won't be like that covenant, which the Jewish people often broke the law. They didn't fully and properly keep the Torah. So Jeremiah says the new covenant will be one where God says, I'll put my Torah in their hearts, mm. and I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. So the question boils down to, what does it mean to have the Torah in your heart? Mm. Um, in the New Testament model, what it basically means is that once you have the Torah in your heart, it seems to be that the obligation to, to actually fulfill all the commandments and do them is no longer necessary, meaning that it's sort of Jesus is doing it. I, I believe in Jesus. He fulfilled the Torah perfectly, and therefore, I if don't I'm have to. Right? I don't have to uh, observe the dietary laws. I don't have to you know, wear seat seat. I don't have to wear phylacteries. I don't have to observe the Sabbath. I don't have to do all those you know, things that the Torah mm. commands Jews to do. But that's not what it means to have the Torah in your heart. Um, you'll see in the book of Psalms where King David says, you know, I desire to do your will, O Lord, because your Torah is in my heart. Meaning that having the law in your heart, the Torah in your heart, means that you'll be faithful to keep it. And what Jeremiah is saying is, in the olden days, you guys were not totally faithful to keeping it. In the new covenant, um, you will have the Torah implanted in your heart, so you'll be faithful to keeping it. And you see this is sort of spelled out overtly and specifically in Ezekiel chapter 11, Ezekiel chapter 36, where the prophet speaks about God transforming our hearts from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And he says it, and that transformation of heart will be one where you will observe my commandments, God says, and you will do them. Yes. So what the messianic future looks like for the Bible and for Judaism and for the you know, correct reading of the scriptures is that in mm. the future, Israel will come into a full and proper uh, observance of the Torah. You see that, for example, in Jeremiah, I'm sorry, in Ezekiel chapter 37, which is probably the most profound and exacting picture of what the Messiah will look like. And it speaks there about, again, not that the commandments will be abolished or, or irrelevant, but that they will be fully observed by the Jewish people. And uh, that's why this new covenant talking about in, in Jeremiah doesn't really have much to do with Christianity, which you know basically never made a big deal about the importance of observing the commandments of the Torah. Um, 
So you, you basically have uh, a whole lot of nothing here in this one. A whole lot of nothing. Um, Malachi chapter 3 verses 2 to 3 but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like oh quick he's like a refiner's fire and like launder's soap he will sit as a refiner and purify uh, and a purifier of silver he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. This is, uh, oh, also, uh, the list maker cites uh, Malachi 4, chapter 4. Now, that's in the Christian translations, 4-4. Uh, uh, what is it in the in the Tanakh? The uh, reference here is 3-22, I think. Yes. 22, okay. Uh, it says, remember the law of Moses, my servants, which I command him in Horeb for all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. Oh, my. Now, this is this one's a little bit special, uh, Michael. It's We've got a whole list here. Shall I read them all? <laughs> At your own risk. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read them very quickly. This is um, uh, the New Testament list, uh, connections that the, the list maker uh, cites with these um, Tanakh verses in Malachi. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5 to 7. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read the uh, prophecy fulfilled according to the, the list first. Then we'll go through this list. The prophecy fulfilled according to the list is we are refined. We, we are refined to obey and live righteously. We are refined to obey and live righteously. Now, the verses that, is, that are taken from the New Testament to support this as a New Testament, uh, as a prophecy fulfilled, a messianic prophecy fulfilled, 1 Peter 1, 5 to 7, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in this, you greatly rejoice, uh, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, uh, that perishes. I don't, I don't know that gold does perish. I'm yet to see gold perish. Uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Next one is John chapter 14, 15 to 16. Uh, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Now, remember, these are, these are verses that are uh, apparently fulfillments of a messianic prophecy that we are refined to obey and live righteously. It continues on John chapter 15, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and is gathered and gathered them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. John chapter 17, verses 2 to 6. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with you, with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to men whom you have given me out of this world. They were yours. You gave them to me and I have kept your word. Another one, Luke chapter 11, verse 28. But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he looks 
But he who looks into, a, into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And, of course, the final one, <laughs> Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, they, again, they are apparently uh, messianic fulfillments of the prophecy, we are refined to obey and live righteously. Michael? Well, I think we need the patience of the saints to actually <laughs> <laughs> sit through that. We um, definitely do. Uh, this really had, I, I was scratching my head with this one. This is like a, sort of going back to some of those strange ones we had a few weeks ago. Uh, you know, when you look at these verses in Malachi, it's just impossible to see how anyone could um, think of this as a messianic prophecy or having anything to do with Jesus. I mean, my open Bible, which normally sets the bar very low for what <laughs> qualifies as a messianic prophecy, doesn't... Um, give this a star, and uh, you know this one was really pretty much from outer space, as far as I'm concerned. Um, there are two verses here actually, so I'm surprised that the list maker didn't squeeze two out of this. Um, mm-hmm. But Malachi chapter three, verses two to three, speaks very specifically about refining the Levitical priests. Um, and and how they will be purified and refined. It's mm-hmm. not really a, a general. Uh, mandate or general prediction that people should be refined or they will be refined it's specifically speaking about the Levitical priests and Malachi chapter 3 verse 22 or 4 verse 4 in a Christian Bible is basically an encouragement to observe all the laws of the Torah Mm. Um, which yeah we have to say amen I mean that's uh, we, we are supposed to be refined we are supposed to obey and live righteously but this is not a messianic prophecy. This is basically what the what God demands of his people. And it's impossible to see how either of these two uh, passages was fulfilled in the church of Christian history. Um, mm. You know, the church quickly became very antinomian. Um, it wasn't long before, you know, Paul's Gentile church totally outnumbered the few Jewish mm-hmm. um, you know, messianists who still lived in Israel and fled to, to Jordan and in the second mm-hmm. century became the Ebionites and the Nazareans. And we know that the church, the establishment, persecuted any uh, you know, Jesus followers who wanted to stick to observing the Torah. Um, you know, it became actually something that was not just criticized, it was forbidden. So it's hard to you know, look at historical Christianity and speak about them as fulfilling this idea of the importance of obeying all the laws of the Torah. As a matter of fact, um, you know, I've heard a few of Carmen's, uh, you know, talks on the internet, you know, and, and she is trying to, you know, live a life of obedience to the Torah, mm-hmm. and I think sees, you know, the vast majority of Christians now and over the course of Christian history as being sort of not where they should be. I think he, she mm. does... You know, and you know there are you know a small number of Christians today that do accept the importance of keeping the laws of the Torah. Yeah, in, indeed, she she would not uh, refer to herself as a as a Christian. Right. She would refer to herself as a Nazarene. Exactly. So to say that this, first of all, um, you know, has been fulfilled is just not true. Meaning that that the list maker would agree with me that you know certainly the church has not fulfilled this and. 
you know, you know that they they probably would be seeking to reform, you know, much of the Christian world who does not really uh, have any fidelity to the observance of the Torah and the commandments. Mm. Um, so I think that uh, you know it's really impossible to see how number one this pass these passages in Malachi are messianic prophecies. Totally impossible. They're not messianic prophecies. And it's impossible to see, you know, if you do believe they're messianic prophecies, how they were fulfilled. They, they simply mm. weren't. You know, mm. there is, you know, clearly the Bible, obviously this is not the only place where the Bible speaks about the importance of living righteously and obeying the Torah. I mean, you know, they could have put over here the hundreds of places in the Tanakh, especially in the Torah, where that's exactly what the message of the Torah is. You're supposed to keep it. Hmm, um, but it's, and the only way I would say it's a messianic prophecy is that, again, in the previous one, we saw that there is a new covenant that God will make where we will come into a full and proper uh, you know, national observance of the Torah. Um, that is a messianic prophecy, meaning that um, time when God will, will transform our hearts to be in tuned to the Torah and we will observe it, that is going to happen when the Messiah comes. But the fact that we don't find, you know, you know, more than 20% of Jews today observing the Torah is mm -hmm. proof positive it hasn't happened yet. We're still awaiting mm -hmm. the fulfillment. Um, so this, uh, this one left me scratching my head. It's a little odd. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 in the Christian Bible. I think that's uh, verse, uh, I think that's 3, 23 and 24, perhaps in the Tanakh. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He, uh, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The list maker connects that with Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea uh, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. Uh, now, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? And he confessed and, and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not. It's interesting that they've, they've included that here. Uh, are you the prophet? Uh, he said, no. And they said to him, well, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am. Now he's quoting from, if I remember, I think this is uh, in Isaiah. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Oh, as the prophet Isaiah said. There you go. I got it right. Now, those who were... <laughs> Those who were sent were from uh, the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, "Well, why then do you, you know, why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet?" John answered them, saying, "I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me. Uh, is pre he's preferred before me, uh, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to loose." Uh, also, John chapter one verse thirty-one. I did not know him but uh, that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. The messianic prophecy fulfilled, according to the list, is forerunner in the spirit of Elijah. Michael. Okay, so I think we've discussed this actually in the past. Um, we'll just recap it here. Um, what the passage actually says in Malachi is that Elijah himself will be the forerunner. 
And by mm. the way, the, the, the translation should not be the awful day of the Lord, really, but the awesome, awesome. day of the Lord. Awful mm. is an awful translation. Isn't um, it? <laughs> but it'll be an awesome day of the Lord, meaning that there'll be a time in the future when God will be accepted and believed in by the entire mm. world. That's the day of the Lord. And so what it says here in Malachi is that Elijah himself will be the forerunner. It doesn't say anything about someone coming in the spirit of Elijah. That's just, mm. again, a spin of the New Testament, probably because Elijah never came back. So the fudge factor is to say, well, it's not really Elijah, but someone coming in his spirit. Mm. Um, Matthew 3, um, which is strange, because Matthew 3 connects John the baptizer with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, the voice mm -hmm. calling, clear the way in the wilderness. Um, but Matthew 3 doesn't really connect anything to our verse here in Malachi. No. Now, Luke chapter 1, verse 17, which is not quoted here by the list maker, that's the place in the New Testament where it's claimed that John came in the spirit of Elijah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm surprised the list maker didn't quote that one. Um, so that's what, what Luke claims, is that John the baptizer came in the spirit of Elijah the prophet. The problem yeah, is that's that... That's actually, that's in, that is in the next one. Uh, in yes. fact, in the final one. Right. Uh, do, do you want me to read that one? No, we'll, we'll get to it, but it belongs okay. here, really. I mean, because uh, yeah. they're claiming here that it was in the spirit of Elijah. And the problem is that Malachi, when you read the Hebrew... Malachi's Hebrew specifically uh, pinpoints it's Elijah himself, meaning that the Hebrew mm. uses the word et, that mm. who's going to come? It's going to be et Eliyahu Navi. Yes. And, and in Hebrew, et always precedes the direct object of the sentence. So mm. who's going to come back? It's going to specifically be Elijah the prophet mm -hmm. um, who will return. And we know from Second Kings chapter 2 that Elijah never died. He went up to heaven. He'll just come back. Um, and we're told about uh, Elijah the prophet here in Malachi is that he'll turn the hearts of the fathers and the sons back to God. Mm -hmm. um, now, that's something that there's no evidence John the baptized that. He didn't seem to really uh, create any significant change in that generation. Um, and, and again, as you mentioned before, you know, they cite here John chapter 1 as the fulfillment text, but it's a very bizarre passage to quote because here it's John the baptizer denying any connection to Elijah the prophet. That's right. Yeah. You know, he doesn't say, by the way, well, I'm not Elijah, but I've come in his spirit. Elijah per se, but I've come in the spirit of he, Elijah. He Let me just explain that. that to, yeah. He didn't say that. He denies any association. So he doesn't. The whole passage is just a non-starter. That's, that's, yeah, that's right. We have one more to go. One no, more. We have three more to go, actually. Well, do you know what? We only have one because uh, just <laughs> before we get uh, confused the listeners, there are the, the final two on the list on, on the New Revised Standard Version from uh, uh, Bill and Carmen of the RefinersFire.org. Uh, is from Psalm 172, verse 10, and Psalm 110, verse 1. Now, it so happens, Michael, that we did address these before we switched from the original list to the oh. new refined... We did. We've already addressed oh. these. Okay, good. That saves some time. <laughs> that means this is the last one. Aye. But drum roll, please. Drum roll. <laughs> well, maybe I shouldn't do that. Okay, so it says... It's, it's Malachi chapter... Well, it's the same verses uh, that we just read, 
but it's connected uh, uh, to the the verse that you just mentioned. Uh, it is connected to Luke Luke chapter one verses thirteen to seventeen, and it does say. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias. Now, this is an angel talking to Zacharias, kind of goes on a bit. But in verse 17, it says, he will also, he being John the Baptist, uh, he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This is where it comes. It's not just the spirit, it's the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn of the, the hearts of the fathers to the children and uh, the disobedience to the wisdom of the just to make ready the people prepared for the Lord. Now, this, uh, this final messianic prophecy, according to the list, is forerunner would turn many to righteousness, Michael. Okay, so it's true. There is uh, this teaching that we have that Elijah the prophet will be a forerunner of the Messiah, and Elijah the prophet will turn many back to God, to righteousness. That's mm-hmm. true. The problem is that, uh, again, it's speaking here of Elijah the prophet, and we know that Elijah the prophet has not yet returned, meaning that Elijah mm-hmm. will accomplish this, but John was clearly not Elijah, didn't claim to be Elijah, and actually denied any connection to Elijah. Secondly, as I mentioned, there's no evidence that John the baptizer turned many people back to God or to righteousness. Um, you know, the passage in Luke that we just read doesn't say that John actually was able to turn many people to righteousness. No testament, no passage in the New Testament confirms the idea that John the baptizer was successful in turning, you know, a whole generation of people back towards God. Um, all we really hear him doing in Matthew chapter 3, for example, is cursing out the Pharisees and the Sadducees who come down to the Jordan to see him. Mm. Meaning that mm. he, he doesn't seem to be very successful, meaning that instead of welcoming these people and trying to help them and to turn them around, he basically turns them away and, and curses them. Mm. And, and, and again, I mentioned before, and I, I'm not saying this to be mean or cruel, um, but I think it would have helped the list maker if they had taken a course in basic uh, logic. Meaning, logic. Um, let's, say, let's say, for example, that John did turn many people to righteousness. Again, we don't have any evidence that he did. But even if John did, it wouldn't prove that he's Elijah because there could be other people in Jewish history who've turned many people to righteousness. Meaning, the fact that, um, you know, that it says in the passage here that Elijah will turn the hearts of many people, fathers and children, back to God, um, you know, just because someone happens to accomplish that doesn't mean that they are uh, Elijah the prophet. You know, you can get someone like Hillel, the great Rabbi Hillel, sure. you know, turned many people to righteousness. And there have been many Jewish people, many great Jewish leaders and teachers, even in this generation. You get, you know, mm. someone like Rabbi Noah Weinberg, who influenced thousands of people, and many others, Lubavitcher Rebbe from Shlomo Karlbach. I mean, you have mm-hmm. Rabbi Shlomo Riskin, my rabbi, and so many others have really turned around the lives of thousands of people No one's going to suggest that that means that, therefore, they are Elijah the prophet. So, um, you know, we don't have any evidence, really, that John the baptizer was Elijah the prophet. Uh, We have every reason to, to, to realize that he's not Elijah the prophet. And, therefore, this prophecy from Malachi, which tells us that there will be a forerunner to the coming of the Messiah who will basically turn the whole generation at that time back to God 
it, this is, again is it would be a proof that Jesus was not the Messiah because yes. this forerunner had not really come. Uh, there it is. So yeah, I think uh, you know it's it's with certain amount of uh, bittersweet sentiment that I say uh, you know that 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 brings the list to an end. You stuck with it, my friend, and I really do appreciate. It, and I have to say, I really appreciate your time. I love talking to you every single week. It's been an absolute privilege and pleasure of mine. I look forward to it uh, every week, and I'm going to miss you. We're going to have to think of something else to do. But I'm sure all the listeners uh, would join me in saying thank you so very, very much for your time. Rabbi Michael Skobek of Jews for Judaism in Canada, JewsforJudaism.ca. I love you, my friend. Well, thank you so much. And I feel the same way. It's been, for me, a treat to spend this time with you. And, uh, you know, I'm just, uh, I'm sad that we're going to be ending this project, but looking forward to God willing doing something in the future. And I tell you what, whatever we do in the future, it's going to be a little, uh, we're going to research it a little bit more and it's going to be better, even better (laughs) than what we have done. But it's a massive effort and we have completed it. And I, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you very, very much. Rabbi Michael Skobak. Jews for Judaism in Canada. Jewsforjudaism.ca is the website. You're going to go through withdrawal symptoms. I understand, dear listeners. Go to the website and there is a plethora of information there. And of course, the YouTube channel. So many seminars that Rabbi Michael Skobak has, has given available there to keep you happy for many, many months to come. Thank you again, my friend. And Thank uh, you, John. it's sometime in the coming months. We're just going to do a recap uh, of this whole series. But until then, dear listeners, be blessed and be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Shalom.